0: It's a privilege for me to be here again. You know, for years uh, we were missionaries supported by this church, and I know that there's still an ongoing uh, relationship with uh, Malawi and the work in Malawi with this church. I was on the phone last night with uh, some of the team members in Malawi just uh, trying to work through some things with them. I'm excited uh, about what's going on there. They've got so much going on. Part of our mission in Malawi was to go uh, sort of pioneer the work and help get things started, uh, early kind of ground digging. And uh, eventually, uh, the plan originally was for us to transition out and hand it over to a team of both Malawians and other missionaries who would carry on with the work. And the long-term goal is to hand it over to the Malawians. But uh, it 's pretty exciting the The seminary is going well. Um, Central African Preaching Academy, I think this year they registered uh, eighty three students eighty three men being trained and that 's fruit for you guys. You guys have a big part in the establishment of that training center, and uh, you 're still ministering with that, I know, and so we 're grateful. For that, And we've been back as a family. My family's been back here in uh, California for 14 months. We sort of feel like we've moved from Africa to the jungle. And um, after 19 years in Africa, uh, things have, are changing here. Things are different. It's good that the Rams are still here in Los Angeles, though. It's <laughs> nice to no, know that something's never changed. So we're, we're glad about that. The title that I, I sent in earlier was uh, "Salvation's Call to Suffer," but I, I actually, sort of, rethinking this and a better title I think for this message is "The Secret Weapon of Submission," because this is a this is a really weapon that we a weapon that Christians have in their arsenal that we neglect to use as much as we should. And so, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter two challenging passage i have a tough time reading this passage without pausing at certain points so i will go ahead and begin reading in verse 18 and i'll read through the end of the chapter of first peter chapter 2 please follow along with me in your bibles first peter 2 18 says this servants be submissive to your masters with all respect Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor... With God. For you have been called for this purpose. That's one of the places where I, I can't stop, I can't continue reading without just thinking about that for a moment. I have been called for what purpose? Suffering unjustly. It's a phenomenal thought. Let's, let's continue reading. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Our Father, what a privilege it is for us to be here this morning. And not only to call upon your name for so unworthy, but to actually look at your truth, at your word, at your message for us today. That we may be able to better understand it and apply it to our lives. And ultimately that your name would be glorified. So we pray, Lord, that you'd give us clarity of mind and thought as we look to this passage. That you would teach us. And Lord, uh, though this passage is not too difficult to understand, it's difficult to apply. And so we ask for a special measure of grace that you would motivate us to live this out in this community that you've put us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage is really astonishing. I think you think about... The way it's laid out. There are some passages that are just astonishing. I think of um, some phrases that you can come across. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, where it talks about lawsuits and whether to sue a brother. It poses the question, why not rather just be wronged? (laughs) Why not? I mean, who says that kind of thing? Isn't that astonishing? Just to see that kind of statement. Why not? Sure. I'd rather be wronged you look at the context there and it's one of those statements that stands out. This whole passage stands out to me like that. And uh, I think because I would propose to you that when people in this world try to dominate you or manipulate you or... They try to control you or somehow be mean to you or ugly to you or belittle you or somehow gain control over you or cause difficulty for you. When people attack you, the world expects that you will fight back or the world expects that you will ignore them or the world expects that you will somehow try to appease them, perhaps bribe them or butter up, butter them up somehow. But but the world does not expect you to. To submit to them. Not with this kind of submission. It has really, it's not planning on that. It has no response to that. It's shocking to them. I remember some years ago, it was about seven years ago, it was in 2010. John Piper was uh, going to... South Africa for a conference. I was up in Malawi. Malawi is uh, four, three countries north of South Africa. So I, I took some of the students from a Bible college I was teaching at at African Bible College. Took eight of our students. We we ho- climbed into a Volkswagen van, and we drove through four African countries, a thousand miles to get down to South Africa. We drove through Mozam from Malawi to Mozambique and into uh, Zimbabwe, and then down to South Africa. We spent a, a glorious uh, several days down there at this conference. we packed up and came back. On the trip, we had three flat tires, which was interesting because we only had one spare. So, uh, but God just really uh, uh, enabled us to to get back. But but we had our delays, and there was one such delay on the way back. We were in the middle of Mozambique. And Mozambique is a pretty, it's a war-torn country. It's a pretty desolate country. Many of the policemen, they don't even have cars. They'll just stop you. They'll be standing on the road, stop you. And we got stopped at a police stop. And in this particular one, we happen to have a flat tire at the same time. So it was convenient because we could kill two birds with one stone, get stopped by the police and change a tire. And so I started working on the tire. There were some immigration officers with the policemen. The immigration officers asked to see all of our passports. They're going through them. And it, it turns out that two of our students had been in Tanzania prior to this trip. Tanzania is a yellow fever country. You're not permitted to travel out of Tanzania without having yellow fever shot. And that needs to be stamped in a book that goes with your passport. If you don't have proof of that, you may not enter other countries. You can be in trouble for doing that. We were in Mozambique. Two students didn't have the yellow fever cards, but there were stamps in their passports from Tanzania. So the students are concerned. They're going to delay us. They're going to keep us here for hours. This could be, they're going to want a bribe. They're, you know, they're, they're panicking. And, uh, so I said, just, just, just be patient. You know, let's, let's you guys talk to them I'll, I'll uh, fix the tire here. When, when I fixed the tire, I walked up to the officers and asked them what the issue was and which they explained it to me. And they said, this is a very serious situation and this could cost you a lot of money. And, uh, you know, we need to get a doctor here and this sort of thing. And, and I looked at them and I said, you know what? We submit to your authority. You are exactly right. I mean, we, these guys should not have been allowed in the country without this yellow fever card. They've broken the law. We've transgressed your law. And so we, uh, let's, let's get these doctors here so these guys can get the shots. And the officers looked at each other, and they looked at me, and then they said, Well, you know, uh, it's going to cost quite a bit. I mean, it, he'll charge you more than $100 U.S. just to come out here and give these shots. And I looked at them and I said, it doesn't matter what it costs. This is a health issue and we've broken the law and we need to make this right. And they said, I said, so can you call them? Can you get the doctors here? So they looked at each other and then they said to me, well, we don't have airtime on our cell phones. And I didn't have a cell phone in that country. And so they had no way of getting the doctor there. So I said, listen, we've got room in our van. Climb into the van with us. Where's this doctor at? He's 30 kilometers away. Get in the van. We'll drive to the doctor. We'll get the shots. I'll come drop you off and we'll be on our way and everything will be right. They said, just go. Just go. Just go. They had no response. They had no response for submission. They were prepared for me to argue with them, to fight with them, to bribe them. They were hoping for that. But submission? Who does that? And you know what's interesting about that story is that some of the students were quite glad that we had escaped patiently enduring some intimidation from these officers but the bible says in first peter 2:20 we just read it for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience and we were in the wrong we had done wrong there's no credit for that there's no i mean we didn't do anything extraordinary there we were wrong We were treated with a little bit of intimidation tactic and manipulation, but but we endured that, but we were wrong. The passage goes on to say, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In other words, when you don't do anything wrong and you're treated unjustly and you're patiently endure it, that's what pleases God. That's what finds favor with God. That's what we're talking about today. This is extraordinary because this type of submission not only directs attention away from ourselves, but it directs attention on Christ, which is our goal, which is why we're here. And in our passage this morning in 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25, we find four manners of submission that will help you to respond to unjust treatment in a way that glorifies God. There are four manners of submission that actually help you to find favor with God no matter what kind of situation you're in. And the first manner we find in this passage is in the first part of verse 18. And your submission should be unreserved. The manner of your submission should be unreserved, without reservation. Verse 18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. There are two describing words that stand out at the end of that first little section of verse 18. One of those words is respect. As you're reading it in the original, the word in Greek is phobos. We get the word phobia from it, it means fear. And out of the 47 times that that word is found in the New Testament, 40 of them it's translated as fear, but here it's rightly translated as respect respect. Because the idea here is that if you were a slave or a household servant, which is the word that is used here, which could have applied to somebody who was a servant in someone's home or a worker out in a field, a low position. Slavery in the first century was something that was different than what we think of when we think of colonial slavery and in, in closer to our day and age. But when you think of first century slavery, it was much more common. It was much more widespread. Sometimes people sold themselves into slavery so their family could benefit from it. And it was only for a period of time. I'm not saying that it was enjoyable. I'm not saying it was pleasurable, but I'm saying it was more common and it was a low form of service that people had an option. And there were some who chose to do that. And so this was the scenario. And in this setting here, Peter has been teaching about submission to authority and he started back in verse 13 by in verses 13-17 through 17, by talking about submission to government and then in chapter 3 he's going to be talking about submission of wives to their husbands and submission of husbands to the Lord But here he's giving the example, speaking generally all about submission, but he gives an example of the workplace. He uses one of the most extreme examples of a workplace, and that is of a slave and a master, or of a servant and a master, a despot in the original, somebody who was a ruler, somebody who had authority over them. And so he uses this example, thinking that anyone who read this, no matter what your working situation is, it's probably not going to be worse than theirs. And therefore, if they're supposed to respond that way, it's easy for you to see you should also respond the same way and you're to respond a way that is respectful. In fact, the word submit earlier in there literally means to rank under. It's a military term where I recognize or I designate this person as having authority over me at a higher rank than me. And I rank under them. So as you're ranking under them, don't only rank under them, but ranking under them in a way that is respectful. Respectful. And this is difficult, especially when you add to it the word that is right before it. Another describing word. Not only respect, but with all respect. And that's hard. Because I could respect a little, but you want all respect? All has the idea, the implication, that you are to respect your employer. All of the time. With all of your heart. Wholeheartedly. Unreservedly respecting him. Unreservedly respecting her. Verse 17 actually says, Honor all people. And verse 18 gives an example of that honor. It's the servant who respects, with all respect, that honor from the heart, truly. Not just giving lip service, not just giving the appearance of it, but genuinely endeavoring in all he does to respect his employer. You can't have all respect for someone if your heart is not really in it. And you can't have all respect for someone some of the time. So these words, these descriptive words, these, these are challenging. Someone once told me, I was talking to a, a, someone in, in, in Africa who was uh, uh, sharing with me in the counseling room that prior to becoming to Christ, they worked at a cash register for a business. And he said to me, I used to rob my employer blind. People would come to me and they would, if they would forget their receipt at the register, I would often take that, put it in the drawer which says returned items, and pull the money out of the register and put it into my pocket. And that's a great example of having no respect for your employer. And if you want to look at a good example of somebody who had respect for an employer or for someone who was in authority over them, even though he wasn't maybe the best person at the time in authority over them, let me give you an example from Scripture. Let's go back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you want to turn there with me, you can keep your finger in 1 Peter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 24, what's going on here is that, you know, King David is not king yet. He's young David, and he has already faced Goliath. Goliath is dead. King Saul is still in authority. God has established King Saul and anointed him as king. David knows that he will be king someday, but at this stage, Saul is king. And so David has some loyal followers, but Saul is still in ultimate authority. And the people admired and loved David more than they loved Saul. And so they would be singing, and Saul overheard some women singing at one stage that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. They respected David much more than the king. And so the king thought to himself, this David is out to get me. And so we're going to get David. And so he gathers together. Some of his men, he just took 3,000 of them. And let's go get David. David's out in the wilderness. He's hiding in the cave. And Saul goes out there with his men and they're looking for David. David. And while he's looking, Saul, the Bible says, needs to relieve himself, and so King Saul sees that there's a uh, a place up on the hill, a little cave, some privacy. So he climbs up into the cave, and guess where David is hiding with some of his men? In that cave. And while Saul is relieving himself, the men are saying, David, this is the time. God has promised you the kingdom. Take his life. Gain control. And David goes up behind him with a knife. And under feeling like he shouldn't kill the Lord's anointed, he decides to cut off just a piece of his robe, perhaps to taunt him with it later. You see that hole in your robe? See what I got here in my hand? that's how close i was to you watch out back off right and then first samuel chapter 24 verse 5 it came about afterward that david's conscience bothered him why because he'd threatened wanted to kill him no because he had cut off the edge of saul's robe his conscience was pricked to the core. Forget about wanting to kill him. I just wanted to tease him. Verse six 1 Samuel chapter twenty four verse six. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul saying, Hey, look what I did to you. No. Again, verse eight, David afterward arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul saying, My Lord. The king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men saying, behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave And some said to kill you, but my eye has pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. Doesn't say it, but you could picture Saul looking down and checking the edge of his robe now to see what was missing. He calls him my father. The king, my Lord. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life. To take it. May the Lord be judged. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. And that's a good example of somebody. Who was. Respectful. Of their authority. Even when they were being pursued. Unjustly. Convicted of even thinking of doing bad things. And confessing and honoring and repenting and lying before him wow what an example of unreserved submission let's take a look at a second manner of submission in our passage back in 1 Peter chapter 2 not only unreserved manner of submission but your submission is to be unbelievable unbelievable When I say unbelievable, I don't mean that people won't think you're sincere. And I'm not saying that they'll say, well, that's probably fake submission or unlikely or far-fetched. That's not what I mean. When I say unbelievable, I mean they're saying, I'm astonished at the way this guy submits. It's mind-boggling. 1 Peter 2, verse 18 again. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. People will be awestruck at your submission if you are able to submit yourself to those who treat you cruelly and are unreasonable with you. Because every situation you're in, I mean, you go to the post office and the line is too long and we start to get flustered under the collar. Thinking, I don't deserve to be treated this way. This is unreasonable. I'm not going to be able to use that word anymore. Because the next time I use the word unreasonable, I hope that what comes to mind is that I am to be submissive with all respect to those who are unreasonable and who have authority over me. We are to have this godly respect or desire to please not only the good and gentle masters, but also the, the harsh, it says in New King James. The Greek word for unreasonable or harsh is a word that we're familiar with. In the Greek, it's skolios. We're familiar with it because we have an English word, scoliosis from it. And it means crooked. It means bent. We use it to describe somebody's back. Who is, it's curving. But here, it's saying even if this person is crooked. Even if they are winding. We are to submit to them in an unreserved way. That's really unbelievable to the world. You see, we are taught by the world that respect is something that needs to be earned but we're hearing now from God's word that respect is something you need to do if you're a follower of Christ because God Almighty has established all authority for His purposes and desires His people to honor Him by submitting to the authority that He has allowed to be in place. And when you do that, And he knows that they're being unreasonable. And the God who will take vengeance and will one day make all things right sees that. But he sees you wholeheartedly submitting to someone who is unreasonable towards you. That brings him pleasure. Grace. It graces him. We as Christians need to invade the workplace. We need to invade schools. We need to invade society. We need to invade everywhere we are. And we need to be known not as people who are difficult to deal with, but people who are the most humble and submissive and easy to work with people on the planet Earth. We need to go in places that are typically filled with discontentment and gossip and slander and hatred and bad attitudes. And we need to instead be content and speak only what is good and demonstrate loving kindness before those around us. Bosses, employees, genuinely from the heart, not for show. Peter in this passage uses this extreme example Because he wants you to be in a position where people will look at you and they'll say, why is it and how is it that you can be treated so poorly and we all see it and yet you never speak badly about them and you always respond so right and so kind. How is it? What What is going on? Either you are the most foolish person on the planet earth, or there is something that you have that I don't have and I want it. And that's the way of the cross. That's what he's getting at here. That's what Peter's saying. Because your submission should be so unreserved and so unbelievable that people don't get it. But not only that, there's a third manner. We're not done yet. A third manner. In which you are to submit. And your submission should be unwavering. Unwavering. Take a look at verses 19 and 20. 1 Peter 2. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God. A person bears up under sorrows. When suffering unjustly. For what credit is there. If when you sin and are harshly treated. You endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right. And suffer for it. You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Notice in verse 20, twice, we have these words, patience and endurance. It says you endure it with patience. And later on, it says patiently endure. I've often looked at those words, which are often together in scripture. And I thought that's a little redundant, isn't it? Patience and endurance together. I mean, I've often thought that patience would be a lot easier if we didn't have to endure it for quite so long. I mean, if I could just do it and have it over with and be done with it. But the hard part about patience is that it goes on and on and I can't see an end to it. And I don't know how it's ever going to end. I have very little hope of ever getting out of this situation. And that's where the endurance comes in. Verse 19 points out our unwavering patient endurance because we are bearing up under sorrows and we're bearing up under sorrows for a long time. But don't lose hope because in verses packed into verses 19 and 20, we have these phrases that give us motivation to carry out what the verse says, which is beautiful because I need motivation. It's one thing to say, I understand what you're saying, Pastor. I understand, but I need help doing it. Well, here's a motivation in verse, verses 19 and 20. And the motivation is this. God is pleased when his people trust in him in the midst of unjust suffering. It pleases God. It brings pleasure to God. This word harshly in verse 20 literally means to strike with one's fist. That's what the word unreasonable means. Sounds pretty unreasonable, doesn't it? New King James says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Do you see how radical this example is? The person of authority over this servant has become so unreasonable that he's actually struck him with his fist. We come to a passage like this and people have questions. So I want to try to not get too far off subject, but but I want to try to answer some of those questions. I want to make it clear that physical abuse in this country, and God has established this government for the purpose of protecting its people, one of the purposes of government... And this government has decided to make a law that is against the law to abuse people physically. And that includes in the home and in the workplace. And so the Bible does not say that we should just sit back and do nothing if someone is being, if someone's breaking the law and harming physically someone else. Christians should appeal to the law for protection. They have the, the right to do that because God has established his government in this government. Now in countries where it's not against the law, it gets more difficult. And even in this country where the law does not protect you, where you're treated harshly for something and no justice seems to be found... I think the world tells us you need to stand up, you need to fight, you need to rebel, you need to you need to uh, uh, sh- strike. Go on strike. Show them. Stick it to them. Peter says, "Patiently endure it, for this finds favor with God. Take it patiently, for this is commendable." Before God. Of course, we knew it would be like this, right? Maybe you didn't. But we read it earlier in the service in John chapter five, 15, verses 20 and 21. Jesus said, Remember the words. That I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Those who do not know God the Father do not know God the Son, nor do they recognize God the Son's servants. And there's something about patiently enduring during times of injustice that, that brings pleasure to God, when he sees that his servants love him that much. We find out why when we see the fourth manner of submission. We've seen that we should submit in a manner that is unreserved and unbelievable and unwavering, but a fourth manner is your submission is to be under authority. Under authority. Verse 21, 1 Peter 2 For you have been called for this purpose i don 't know how many of you when the Gospel was first shared to you, and they said that listen you 're a sinner you 've offended a holy God, therefore you have no oh, the wages of sin is death, you have no hope of eternal life, and there 's nothing you can do in and of yourselves to do to make up for the sin which you've offend, by which you 've offended a holy God, and therefore you need a substitute or a sacrifice. To pay the price for you. And if you repent of your sins and turn and trust in Christ today and give your life to Him as Lord and Master, and if you follow Him, then God will look upon you and He will wash away your sins because He will take the sin from your account and place it on Christ who pays for it in full in the cross, and He will take All the righteousness of Christ and place it into your account so that when God looks at you, the good news is he no longer sees your sin, which Christ has paid for in full. All of your sin, your past sin, your present sin that's going on in your life right now, and the sin which you have yet to commit, there shall now therefore now be no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 And so, that's grace, and now you have forgiveness of sin And you're following Christ as your master. And you will have eternal life with him. You've heard all these things. But one thing you may not have heard. Is and you will participate in the suffering that he would have endured had he been here. Because you are his body. You are a physical manifestation of who he is here on this earth. And you are to respond as he would respond if he were here physically. And you'll be treated the same way he would have been retreated. You are under authority. You've been called for this purpose. That's your calling. I don't know if they told you you were called to suffer. That's part of your calling. Because the way of the cross is different than the way of the world. And you are to follow in his steps. And that's exactly what it says here. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Well, what are his steps? Let me try to summarize his steps from this passage in three ways. His steps are steps of perfect submission. Take a look at them. Verse 22 Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats. I realize there is misconception even in the church about submission. Some people think that submission means we're never to say anything about injustice, we just roll over, we never resist. We are like doormats for the world to wipe their feet on. But that's not what Christian submission is. There are times where we must stand up. We should stand up against evil. Jesus and the apostles continually opposed evil in many ways. In fact, our Lord made a cord of three and made it into a whip and then drove people out, money changers, out of the temple Because he was standing up against evil that was offensive to a holy God. Christians should resist the devil. We don't go after the devil, but we resist the devil. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we don't submit to the devil. And we just don't roll over when there's injustice against a holy God. Now, righteous indignation is a difficult thing, and that's a subject for another day. I don't think I've ever experienced righteous indignation. Because righteous indignation is when you're offended because God has been dishonored. And my anger typically comes when I'm dishonored. (laughs) Somebody cuts me off on the freeway and the first thought that comes to my mind is not usually, hey, that's dishonoring to our Lord. (laughs) It's me. I have a right to be in this lane. And God has given me a horn to implement it for such occasions so that I can let you know about my rights. Lord, forgive me. But he never sinned. Christians can also confront others, other believers of sin. We have numerous examples where we have other believers and, you know, we're all sinners and we all have this sin hangover. And so we've we we we've been forgiven and yet yet we're still affected by the after effects of sin and we still struggle against sin. And so we're bound to offend one another. Matthew 18 is one of the passages that gives us steps on how we can confront one another in love. I, I encourage you that Matthew 18, 15 says... That if your brother sins against you, go and show him a fault just between the two of you that you may win him over. Your goal is reconciliation. Your goal is to be won over. I I, I firmly believe that two Christians who don't get along should spend more time together. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you and that other person has the Holy Spirit in them, and you get that same spirit with the same word in the same room talking through that, they should have the same goal. When Peter caused confusion in the church by siding with the Judaizers, the Judaizers in Galatians, they were teaching that you needed to become a Jew first before you became a Christian, and that you weren't a real Christian unless you got circumcised and were a Jew, and you couldn't eat with Gentiles, and so Peter kind of sided with them. And Paul says, in Galatians 2.11, Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So it's okay to stand up to false teaching and believers that sin and believers that offend. We should also never submit when we're instructed to do something that goes against God's word. When we're in Acts 5 situation, for sure, in Acts chapter 5, it says that the apostles were given strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, but Peter and the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so this idea of submitting just because somebody does have leadership over you ladies if your husband is home and the phone rings and you pick up the phone and it's your husband's boss and he whispers to you tell him i'm not here you don't have to submit to that because he's asking you to do something that goes directly in contradiction with god's word And that's just kind of a funny example. But there are many other much more serious examples where people are asked by people in authority to do something that's wrong. Your boss asks you to do something that is immoral or cheats on finances or something like that. You do not have to do that. You do not have to submit to that because you have a higher authority. So there are times where we don't submit but when it comes to situations where it's clear that it's God allowing you to endure suffering, even unjustly, this is the example you should follow. Perfect submission. He kept himself from responding sinfully, and that's our example. He didn't deceive. In other words, he didn't deceive in order to ease his suffering. He didn't revile. To revile is to pour out or pile on abuse on someone else. And he, listen, if anyone in this world, in all of human history, has ever been treated unjustly, who more than Christ? He never sinned and they killed him. And he's our example. He uttered no threats. This goes totally countercultural to everything around you I heard someone telling a joke about uh, their boss and they said well if you if you, if you uh, could uh, have anything any wish you wanted but whatever you got he got twice as much so if you got a car he'd get two cars if you got a house he'd get two houses if you got a big pile of money he'd get two big piles of money what would you wish for and they said could I wish to be blind in one eye it's terrible, isn't it? That's the way the world looks at it. The world looks at, 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 at their boss. And, and, and I don't care how much it hurts me. I just want to see him get hurt. This is the environment of the world. And it's a natural, ugly response. Some may ask, is there ever a time where we could protest against our government or strike against our workplace well again in america we have certain privileges the the law actually gives provision for certain types of protest and there may be situations in a workplace where it would be appropriate to participate in some sort of strike, although I would qualify it, can you participate it with these manners of submission in your heart? What is the motive? What is your desire to participate in it? Is it to please men? Is it to gain financially? You also have the option of not, not working there. You're not in slavery to that workplace. You can quit in the face of injustice. But ask yourself. Hey, if I'm participating in something where there's a sinful motive or where deceit is involved or where abuse is involved or where we are uttering threats, this is not the kind of submission that the Bible wants me to participate in. There may be a time, but I think it would be very rare. And trying to manipulate your employer by using the world's tactics is not the way. Listen to how Peter refers to Christ here. Because he's speaking about Christ. Because Isaiah 53, who foretold of Christ, said in verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And I believe Peter, in verse 22, is referring back to our Lord from Isaiah, Jesus demonstrated that the best way to confront the world with its sin is not through social uprising, not by strength in numbers, but through humble submission, looking towards that future hope. So that when people come to you and they say, what is it? What is it? You say, why do you respond? Why is it when you're treated so poorly, you respond so Kind and you say, because I'm following an example of someone else. And that person had perfect submission and they had incredible trust, which is the second uh, description of, of really the steps of Jesus or the way of the cross. Incredible trust. Take a look at verse 23. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I love that because it's continuous. Jesus continuously was entrusting himself to God. It takes a lot of strength to trust in God and submit to an unjust person in the face of injustice. Spirit-filled Christians rank themselves under others ultimately because we are ranked under Christ and we trust God. That's the difference. People in this world only trust in the here and now. We look to a future glory. To entrust means to hand it over. There's an Old Testament verse, Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. I love the way that word commit and trust are together in Psalm 37, because that word commit in the Hebrew literally means to roll off onto. And it was used in antiquity to describe, of all things, the loading of a burden on a camel. If you can imagine how difficult it would be to get a heavy burden on top of a camel that does not have a flat back and to position it there and to then strap it down and get the camel up and going, it was no small task. And what they found was that the easiest way to do it was to build a ramp leading up to the camel. And the camel would kneel down right next to the ramp and you would roll the burden up the ramp and you got to a certain place and they would yell out a certain Hebrew word and that word was, commit! Commit! Roll it off onto because if you did it halfway, it fell in between the camel and the ramp and it was much more work for everybody, including the camel. It's a great picture of what half-hearted commitment does. It makes things difficult for everybody and so the idea is if you're going to trust roll it off onto the one who sees all injustice and takes care of all of it it. and this is what brings you comfort is Lord I know that you see what's going on here and this is not the way I would have written this chapter of my life but you see it and so I'm going to respond in a way that brings grace to you and pleases you and testifies of my trust in you so that when others see this I can point to you and so I commit this to you knowing that one day you'll take care of it all that's the way of the cross the way of the cross is perfect submission the way of the cross is incredible trust and a third description of the way of the cross is its amazing results look at verses 24 and 25 And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We see two amazing results of following in Jesus's steps. Jesus's steps resulted in cleansing and closeness. Cleansing in verse 24 Because by his wounds you were healed. That is not some verse that is quoted today or should be quoted today to speak about physical healing. The context of that, what kind of healing do you think his wounds made for us? Spiritual healing. We were healed because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive. The cross has done that for us. Perfect submission and incredible trust by the person who received the most injustice has resulted in the greatest gift ever available to man. And if God can take the worst crime against humanity and turn it out into the greatest gift towards humanity, He can take the situation you're going through and bring glory out of it too. Cleansing. I got cleansing because of Christ's submission. And closeness. Again, verse 25, take a look at this. You, we, I was continually straying like a sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of my soul. Oh, here is the power of submission, the power of walking like Christ, the power of the way of the cross. And that is because I'm lost in the love and care of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm overwhelmed with what he's done for me. And that's the one driving factor that affects every way I respond to everybody else because I'm lost in that love He's all the thing that's important. So if it's your money, my money you're after, take it. It's all his money. If it's self-worth, I laid that at the cross. If it's personal importance, I must become lesser. He must become greater. Here is the power of submission in mathematical form. Perfect submission plus incredible trust equals amazing results. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness. I'm lost in His love. That is the way of the cross. That is following in His steps. That describes a kind of submission in this world that is unreserved, that's unbelievable that's unwavering and that is under authority that is so gracious towards us. Let's pray. Oh, our Father God, how grateful we are. We come before you and you are the God of all grace. You have called us into your eternal glory in Christ. Lord, if there are those here today who have not yet repented of their sins, if they don't know what it's like to really be free and turn and trust in you as Lord, I pray that this day they would fall on their knees and give their lives to you. And that this day they would find someone else and tell them that, a believer who could help them to grow in the faith. You said in your word that after we have suffered a little while, You yourself will restore us and make us strong and firm and steadfast. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you will help us to remember these truths this morning. And to you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.